Greetings, FCCMA members. I'm Steve Van Poor. This is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host. In each episode, we interview a city or county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government in the Sunshine State. I'm excited about our guest today, and let me tell you why. One of the topics that we see in the news, uh, in the press, uh, at the water cooler today is the topics of social justice, the topics of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And good, right? that's good that it's on people's minds and we're trying to figure out how to make the world a more just place. Our guest today is the city manager of Clearwater, Bill Horn. Uh, Bill's got an incredible career. And in fact, we're catching him. You may listen to this as he's getting ready to retire. He's the city manager of Clearwater, but his background is not your typical background of a city manager. He's a was a former colonel in the United States Air Force. I love this. He has a bachelor's degree in science, I mean, in chemistry, okay? A master's degree in human resource management and a master's degree in political science, not your typical pathway of public administration. Um, Bill, thank you so, so much for being on with us today. Steve, it's my pleasure to uh, participate in support of FCCMA. Well, uh, and your experience here is, is, is gonna help us because while social justice, social justice issues, um, we hear the, the buzzwords diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, more and more. And this has been something of, that's been part of your career journey going back decades. How did you first come to this as, as something you said, hey, I want to leave the campsite a little better than I found it, and I'm going to leave it on this issue? How did you, how did you begin that? Well, uh, first of all, you know, having um, had a 27-year career in the Air Force and having been commissioned uh, in the early 70s, uh, in fact, 1972, uh, and by the time I ended my, my career, um, you know, I, I, I observed how the Department of Defense, how the United States Air Force and other services started that journey of maturing this all-volunteer force and responding to the challenges of, uh, of, of increasing diversity within the ranks of the military. Uh, okay. Are, what did they do that you were able to say, I'm going to do that in this city? Well, well, what they did was, first of all, they, they addressed uh, some of the racial tension that existed at the time. Um, they established uh, formal, formal uh, training and education programs to help people adjust to working in a in a more racially and ethnically integrated organization because a lot of people didn't have that as a as as a natural part of their experience and it was new um, and sure, so the 70s, yeah. and so that brought us together uh, in a lot closer and and, and the the organizational dyma, uh, dynamics the organizational culture uh, at, you know actually got better to work in because we had a common basis of understanding of how to deal with racial and ethnic differences. Um, so that by the time that I retired, you know, I actually had a two year assignment in Japan um, as, a, as what we call then a support group commander, which in fact, my job was to do exactly what city managers do. So I had a diverse workforce in Japan, um, 
not only was it gender, race, ethnicity, but it was also nationality because I had at least 800 Japanese national employees, you know, who were under my command oh, wow. uh, in providing uh, municipal services, just like you do as a manager. So when I was reassigned to Tampa, I, I, was, I was assigned to an organization that was a joint organization. My, my job was to staff the headquarters. So if, if you can think about what life was like back in 1995, you know, again, the Department of Defense uh, focused on diversity. And, uh, and so we were now looking at how do we staff our headquarters um, uh, with diverse members from all of the military services. So I had an opportunity to work with the various services uh, to make sure that we were getting incoming military members assigned to United States Central Command uh, who reflected the diversity uh, in our country uh, and in our communities. And so uh, the services were committed to that. Um, and so again, it just reinforced the importance of, of, as you say, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So now, three years after I was at, uh, um, at in Tampa, now I'm looking at retirement. And so I had the opportunity to come to Clearwater. And in well, Let me pause you there for a second, because I want to sum up what you learned okay. in the military was, one, we have to acknowledge both the problem and the opportunity. Yes. They did that. Then once you do that, then it's training and education for everybody involved. Yes. Uh, and, and then get, get them on board with, 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 with the clear goals of the organization are. And then you didn't say this directly, but it's like then you have to take intentional actions. On, on making sure you do that. And to give me some examples of some intentional actions that either in the Air Force or uh, in the city that you must take to ensure you're doing everything reasonable to ensure um, a diverse workforce. Well, uh, uh, you know, I will say, Steve, that uh, in the Air Force, what, what was not uncommon after a while is that when services like in the Air Force, when we made assignments to fill key positions throughout the Air Force, you know, that was one of the elements that was considered in who actually was going to fill some of these key leadership positions. So we were very intentional about, uh, you know, assigning uh, obviously successful racial minorities who were in the officer ranks, as well as women. Uh, keep in mind, you know, uh, in the early 70s, women's, uh, women's um, um, presence in the military was limited by number. Uh, and then as Department of Defense eliminated that limitation, uh, then women started to uh, begin to uh, fill in, uh, to, to increase their presence, increase uh, their, their uh, uh, opportunities for promotion, all those kinds of things. And so the organization moved forward in a very intentional way to reflect this diversity within the ranks in the various organizations. And then once people start seeing that there's genuine opportunity, not fake opportunity, genuine opportunity, everybody's going to be treated equally, um, did, you, did that inspire? I, I would think that that would inspire people to say, hey, I have a real chance here. Let's just use your example, because you're right. In, in the 70s and the 80s, the military was predominantly male. Uh, a woman gets in, and she, if she knows that the opportunities are legitimate, and she has a real chance, and suddenly I see somebody moving up the ranks as a female, I as a female would say, oh my gosh, this is cool, this is real, so I'm inspired by that. Did you witness some of that? 
Well, I certainly did. And uh, I, I'll tell you, I, it goes back to when I went to summer camp when I was in ROTC and our commandant of cadets, uh, and, and the summer camp was in Panama City, Florida, at Tyndall Air Force Base. The uh, commandant of cadets actually was a Tuskegee Airman. He was a lieutenant colonel. Oh, he wow. African, he was African-American. Uh, and and, and I, 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 was, I was inspired by the fact of his position within the summer camp organization. Uh, and he was a, you know, he was in a leadership role. So you're a young black man. You see an right. older black man, obviously a historic figure, and you're inspired by this. You say, "Wow, if he can move up the ranks, I can move up the ranks." I was making a decision to uh, to to seek a commission in the Air Force at that time. I mean, I was like, you know, 19 or 20, well, at least 20, <laughs> and uh, and so that just helped to give me a much more positive view about what I was about to do, not knowing the outcome. But certainly, it created the motivation to proceed ahead. I did get commissioned. Um, I did find myself, because of my my racial status, as being you know not very highly represented within the ranks. Because sure. everywhere I went, you know, in most cases, I was either one or two uh, African American officers in all of the organizations that I was assigned to. Uh, toward the end of my career, that began to increase slightly. But, uh, but nevertheless, you know, I was, uh, I, I saw myself as a role model um, and, uh, and I had an opportunity because I kept getting promoted, you know, to higher rank. Then uh, I found myself being helpful in counseling the younger officers and giving them advice on how they could be successful, you know, within the Air Force. You mentioned that your role in the Air Force was, was very transferable to being a city manager uh, we, we obviously we're interviewing large numbers of city managers, uh, and, and I'm loving this because of the diversity of each day. You show up each day with a plan, and suddenly one of one of our guests wrote a book called "The Mayor Married Who." Uh, that there's always these surprises, and, and while you have a plan, while you have an organization, you're, the diversity of the challenges that come your way. And it sounds like you, while it's the military, everybody assumes the military, a bunch of ants marching in a singular direction. I bet it sounds to me like every day was the same, different, interesting new challenges every single day. Steve, that responsibility that I had in Japan was the best job I ever had. It was the one job that I felt that once I was assigned to it, I, I, that I had all of the skills and qualifications that I needed to be successful. I relished, I relished the opportunity to, uh, to address the unpredictability, which is inherent in a position like the city manager. Mm -hmm. Well, I experienced that as a support group commander. You might remember the gas attacks, the sarin gas attacks mm -hmm. in, the, in the Tokyo subway. Well, when that occurred, I was the support group commander on uh, Yokota Air Base. Um, and, and, and the base was actually threatened by the terrorist group that uh, that conducted that gas attack. Now we we really never were threatened. But you reality. didn't know that at the time. Yeah, but we didn't know at the time. That's right. But going back to what you said, the unexpected things, the unexpected uh, 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 snowstorm that was the largest that Tokyo had had in fifty years, the earthquake, uh, 
while I was over there. We had an <laughs> Did you ever think maybe you going over there caused all this stuff? I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it was it was incredible. But but boy, With a sarin gas attack, an earthquake, a record breaking snowstorm, like. Bill Horn gets reassigned to France, so we don't have all these disasters in Japan. <laughs> I mean, so it, it it just reinforced what my career has experienced that that there are the, there is a nature of unpredictability in in what you're going to face as a leader, and uh, and and you're getting valuable experience uh, in how to deal with it. As a result of that, Steve, you know, I I just I just didn't have the anxiety associated with, you know, well, what might happen next? I'm sure. It became just a part of, of my experience that, you know, when I come to work every day, there are things that will happen that no one had any idea. Mm -hmm. So so what you can put in the, you know, into that, I mean, you can put the pandemic into that. I mean, you know, over a year ago, we get hit with a pandemic. There there is no no game plan. There is no no set of rules. I mean, we're flying this airplane. I mean, we're building this airplane as we're flying it. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's go back. So you're so you retire from the military. What yes. makes you say, I think I want to go into local government? What, what what was the click point? It was that Japan experience. Two years, you know, providing service deliveries, uh, uh, municipal services delivery to a community of fourteen thousand Americans. Um, not all of them were military. Half of them were civilian who worked for the U.S. government in okay. Tokyo. Um, I mean, I had a quite a diverse community. And, and so I left that experience saying to myself, if I ever have a chance to do something similar in the civilian sector, uh, then that's what I would want to do. I wanted to be a city manager because I, I learned that that, that 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 position was very closely aligned with what I've been doing in Japan. So the military phrase for support group commander equals city manager. That's correct. Or base commander. I work for a former. Yeah, I, uh, I work for an army colonel. I mean, the air force colonel uh, who ran a base. Uh, he said he was like you're. You're the mayor of the. Of, of yeah, I, I mean that was the that was the uh, that was the old term. They they changed the base commander title to the squad group commander title. Oh, okay, okay. So you were like the mayor slash slash city manager all rolled up in one. Yes. So you you get in, and so tell me about what were some of the skills. I mean, so you say, hey, I come to Clearwater. I see the management structure, the employment structure, not as diverse as it should be. So what steps did you take as a city manager? And so for our listeners. What, what can they take away about things you did that made it successful? Well, you now have a far more diverse leadership team workforce than you did when you came. Well, I first had to understand the organization. And, uh, and because I had not been in local government, I had to make sure that I understand from a human resources perspective, what are the mechanisms by which we can make a change in the staffing uh, of the organization. So, you know, sitting down, you know, talking to uh, and working things out with my human resources director. We did have someone who was responsible for what we called equity services, someone who addressed, you know, uh, equal employment opportunity complaints and those kinds of things. Uh, someone who helped advise us on how to stay in compliance with non-discrimination laws. So, so based on my experience then, you know, if we were going to move from, from a organization that may have had uh, uh, you know, a very low uh, number of, of minorities, 
uh, or protected categories actually in the management ranks, then, then what kind of strategy would I need to employ in order to change that? So what did um, you do? Well, I, I think the first thing we did was really evaluated our, how we recruited employees. And, <laughs> Same uh, thing as the military, step one, acknowledge. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. and, and so, uh, and then, uh, so, so that really addressed how were we acquiring people from the outside? So where are we advertising uh, for, um, you know, work opportunities in the city of Clearwater, making sure that we went to the various organizations that had clientele uh, or members who were looking for, you know, opportunities uh, to work in local government. And, uh, and so there, there were some organizations that had college graduates who, um, who were looking to uh, identify where they could, they could potentially work uh, uh, in local government. And so we made sure that if we had vacancies within our organization, that, that, that their job boards, uh, job uh, announcement boards, you know, had, uh, had, had our marketing material. Um, internally, we really start to focus more on who within our own ranks had the potential to, uh, to, to get promoted and, and fill positions of greater responsibility. How were we embracing diversity in general? I mean, first of all, you have to have a mindset that says diversity, inclusion, and equity really is a value of the organization. It will benefit us. Um, it really releases a lot of potential that mm -hmm. otherwise would be ignored. Um, and so you've got to have a management team that, uh, that, that, that agrees with that perspective so that as they manage their departments, they're, they're, they're evaluating their employees. So that goes to the training and the education. You're making That's sure right. everybody on your team knows this is a value and a goal of the organization. Let me, let me ask you a, a, a difficult question. Yes. Um, our list, this is an audio podcast. So our listeners may not know you're a black man. I'm a white man. If I'm a young black man and I'm looking for a job and I see the city of Clearwater has a black city manager, I'm immediately inspired to think, well, wait a second. So clearly they believe in diversity and there's opportunity there. What? So for many of our listeners, uh, many city managers are not black men. And so women, men, white men, what? What advice can you give them to show that there's that upward mobility within their organization? Am I making sense? Yes, you are making sense. I, I, I think it, it, it really has a lot to do with how, this, how the city organization, um, how it uh, extends the invitation to the outside community. Okay. I, think, I think the marketing programs really ought to, I mean, I mean I'll be candid with you, you know, if, if diversity- okay, I won't tell anybody. Yeah, <laughs> if diversity is a value, if diversity is a goal, then your marketing efforts need to reinforce that message. Okay. Um, and uh, but they and, damn sure better see other people in upper management of who are also diverse. Because if I if I'm going to apply to an organization and the top of the pyramid is is all one makeup, that's going to be disheartening to me. Yes, the recruiting materials need to reflect the diversity you're trying to see. So okay. because well, if people don't really know much about you. And, and they pick up a brochure or, or whatever and see that, 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 that this organization is diverse or else they wouldn't have otherwise, you know, 
reflected that in their in their materials, if they see that, then they will they will conclude, okay, that there there is an opportunity here. Okay, um, so it's more than just the words, hey, we're gonna hire correct. diversity. You have to prove it and you have to show it and you have to demonstrate yeah. it. Yes. Okay. Excellent. So to restate kind of the same thing, you gotta uh, first, acknowledge your shortcomings, acknowledge that this is a value and a principle of the organization. Secondly, training education of, of everybody in your leadership team and everybody in the organization that this is our goal. And then last, you have to take uh, discrete actions towards those goals. That's correct, Steve. Now, How did, did you ever get any pushback from your electeds? Uh, well, no, because remember, I mean, from an elected official perspective, the, the way you get hired as a manager is the electeds hire you. So the mere fact that the electeds hired me was was just was was clearly proof that they supported diversity. Okay, okay, fair good. Okay. Good, fair answer. Yeah. So so the fact that they hired a black man says they're committed to this goal as well. That's right. And, and also you should know that the candidate the the, the top 5 candidates uh, that 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 they considered to fill the position of city manager in Clearwater permanently included a white female, um, a uh, two black uh, males, which was me, and then another assistant city manager, uh, and then two white males. So, so the candidate pool itself, you know, reflected that the city was committed toward diversity. And 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 there were no restrictions. And we read that all the time that that when you when you're trying to build a, an organization that encourages and fosters diversity, there there's two parts to that equation. Part one is the candidate pool itself must be diverse, but also the evaluators, people making those decisions, must also be diverse because we all come to the table with our own prejudices, right? Suppressed right. or otherwise. And if the if the if the Evaluation group is in and of itself diverse. That that will that will go a long way. Well, this is a perfect segue to the other thing I wanted to talk with you about, which is your pending retirement. You're getting ready to you know, your second retirement. <laughs> you look pretty young, by the way. You look younger than me, and I'm a little mad about this. You know. <laughs> so, um, first question is: Are do you feel the commission is committed for diversity going forward? Did you build this? Uh, foundation that will last after you're gone? Uh, I, I believe so. Uh, I, I believe that the the staff that I've hired over my 20 years, I think, reflects a commitment to diversity. Uh, the council has clearly embraced it. Um, they clearly advised the recruiter that they wanted to see a, a diverse work, uh, a diverse set of candidates, you know, based on, you know, well, what what was available in the in the market, if you will, um, and uh, so uh, the staff, I think, is is far more comfortable with this whole issue of diversity in represent in actual representation because I think if you look at our organization from top to bottom, uh, there is clearly more diversity today than it was twenty years ago. You know, well, that's fantastic. And 20 years ago, this wasn't even a conversation people were really o openly having. We're having it now, and that's a good thing. I wish we could have had it 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago, but better late than never, as they say. So uh, I've been around uh, working for the Florida League of Cities, FCCMA, for uh, over a dozen years. And, and during that journey, I've learned a lot about the people who work in, in local government. Most of it is about passionate and caring about 
getting good things done, not taking credit. Um, So I will say this about city managers as a group. They are fantastic at, um, to use the word, diversity of challenges. Um, They they come in different makes and models and sizes, but every day is a new challenge. You, You can't not have the lights on. You can't not have the rubber meeting the road every single day. You've got to keep the wheels of government rolling. If the state legislature, listen, our state legislature meets for about 60 days every year. Frankly, they could meet every other year. Nobody would notice a difference, right? If you took off 60 days, the world would come apart in clear water. What, so, so city manager is fantastic, fantastic at diversity, well, smart people, problem solvers. What you guys are terrible at is taking care of yourselves because you're taking care of others and planning for what are you going to do next? Uh, and unfortunately, in this profession, you're, you're, you know, you've lasted, you've, you've won you one gig in city management. You must be really good at it because a lot of managers find one day the new mayor wants somebody different. And so that's why the FCCMA has a managers in transition program. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we're trying to focus on how to retire. So that's a big setup. What are you doing? What can you share with your fellow city managers on how do you prepare to retire? And we don't really need to talk about the finances of it, but the emotion of it, the mental capacity of that. You don't, there's only so much fishing, relaxing, and sunbathing you can do. What What are you doing to prepare for that? Well, I, I mean, you, you first, you know, first you, you, you have to do a self-analysis and you have to determine um, when, when are you going to pull the plug? You know, how, how, how much longer do you plan to work? And, and, and I actually work I, a lot longer in Clearwater than I, than I expected. I, I thought I would be here 15 years, uh, and that was the outside uh, number. And as it turned out, uh, you know, I just, I just continued to work. Uh, so once I decided that, uh, that the 20, 20 years was really kind of my the apex, and, and it was time for me to consider retiring, uh, the, one of the first things that I did was uh, talk to uh, the uh, ICMA uh, Retirement Corporation staff. Uh, I convened a meeting and just kind of talked about transitioning from uh, the current position of manager to uh, retired. And, and that really helped to clear my head uh, about, you know, kind of what, what, what was I really going to uh, uh, step into. And, uh, and I needed, I learned that I needed to give myself some time, you know, in order to do that. So I, I thought I was leaving last fall. <laughs> so last summer, you know, I had had this conversation. Uh, the pandemic kind of pushed everything um, you know, to the right. And, uh, and so I decided to stay through the, through the fall of 2020 and then look at the spring summer of 2021. Um, and, and, and like I said, having that conversation, uh, with, uh, with ICMA and, uh, RC advisors, you know, helped me to kind of, you know, make some decisions and come to some conclusions about, you know, this transition. What kind of advice did they give you? Well, I think they they really felt that I, I needed to kind of decide, you know, what what how was I going to manage my my economic resources, um, whether I was going to do it myself or whether I was going to trust uh, trust someone to do it, like uh, ICMARC to do it for me. 
um, you know, that was a very big decision. And, uh, and so I made a decision on how that would happen. Um, and uh, it, 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 you know, as it turned out, the pandemic has kind of delayed things, but now I'm, now I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm ready to re-engage and follow through with some preliminary plans that we had kind of already identified that I would, that I would implement. Um, uh, and, and so I'm, you know, like I said, uh, part of part of the thing for me is is because I I don't have that financial anxiety that I think some people may have, and because I'm in good health, you know I feel like you know I I can make the transition fairly comfortably, um, and uh, and to give myself more time to figure out um, at the end of the day, you know what what does retirement look like for me, in you know in a much longer term. So what I hear is similar to the um, social justice arc, which was acknowledge the issue, training, education. Yours was acknowledge this is something you want to do. Uh, do a personal evaluation uh, on yourself, what you like, what you enjoy, what gives you purpose. Yes. And then begin to make a plan. Yes. Uh, and you, you tell us, if you don't mind, I, I love what you're, what you're looking, looking to do, uh, which is not just go fishing, relax, take a nap, catch up on good reading, you, you're going to up your game with your church. Yes. I mean, I, I do have that responsibility. Uh, it, it's a volunteer position. It's a non-salaried position. Uh, and it really has very few um, responsibilities, quite frankly. So I, so I can make this church responsibility kind of whatever I want to make it. Uh, it, it, it will, I'll have more time um, to, uh, to devote to it. And I'm excited about that. Uh, uh, there's travel involved, you know, with it. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, this isn't just your local neighborhood church. You're talking about the national organization, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You're going to be lucky to have you, man. And, and so, um, and, and so that's, that's, that's one dimension. Another dimension of involvement really has to do with, uh, my profession, um, uh, I would love to be an adjunct instructor uh, with either USF or with uh, St. Petersburg College, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and teach an introductory course on public administration to, uh, to young college students who might be considering this as a profession. That would excite me quite a bit. Um, and, uh, and so that's something that I think, you know, I could do and, uh, and not find myself in a third career. You know, I mean, well, and you, you know, the university system now requires you to have a master's degree in order to teach and you've got not one, but two. So you're, you're ready to go. Yeah. I, I just have to fulfill. The 47 years experience may or may not matter, but you got the two master's <laughs> degrees. <laughs> that, that is fantastic. And, you know, we keep hearing having a purpose-driven retirement. Uh, if you think if you treat retirement like a long weekend, or even a vacation, you're going to get over it really quickly. Especially, I think the personality that makes someone a good city manager, that constant drive. You know, one of the one of the more interesting takeaways for me was a good city manager has to have a personality where you want to accomplish good things, right? Some could be great, some could be little, a fixed pothole at an intersection, but some could be uh, economic parity by moving the city hall into a neighborhood and has economic uplift as a result. But whatever those things are, you can't abandon that part of your personality just because you're retired. So have That's a right. purpose-driven retirement seems to be the common element here. 
I completely agree. I can't tell you how many people that I've that I've talked to who retired uh, and, and a year later. I mean, so, so they they recharge their batteries for a year. When that happened, they they went nuts at home. They, mm-hmm. they really hadn't really planned it out as to well, okay, well, how am how am I going to spend my time? And uh, and 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 many of them ended up just simply going back to work because they didn't they didn't have a a plan. Well, two of them on our interview went into a consultancy gig, uh, doing projects back home. And because of that skill set of being the city manager, knowing how the wheels of government operate, knowing how to solve complex problems and not having to take the credit for it. Uh, my good friend, I love him dearly, Joe Yarbrough, uh, what is such an example. He's back in Volusia Joe. County. Yeah. yeah, great guy. Yeah, I know um, Joe. Uh, and he is now back in Volusia County working on a park system. It's really kind of neat. So, so last, last question, Bill. Thank you. I know we're over time. This has been a really educational. Um, we always give everybody an opportunity to pitch something about their community. Uh, tell us something about Clearwater that we do not know. Oh, something you do not know. Well, <laughs> you, you don't know what oh, I do and do not know. Well, we talked about it before at Clearwater Beach. Yeah, everybody, everybody knows about Clearwater, you know, at, in being the number one beach, or I mean, I think it's number three now, but certainly for four or five years running, you know, TripAdvisor gave us that number one uh, beach in the in the in the continental United States. Uh, so I think we're known for tourism. We're known for Clearwater Beach, uh, and people come here with that as a focus. What they may not know is that we have one of the most robust parks and recreation programs in the state. Um, and when you look at our facilities, uh, we give our residents, you know, top drawer uh, a service. Um, we've got the Philadelphia Phillies here, uh, spring training. I mean, in many ways, Steve, we, we have it all. Uh, if, you're cool. a res- if you're a resident, permanent resident, uh, we give you uh, just a, a wonderful opportunity to, to activate that part of your life that parks and recreation services really gives you benefit. Um, you know, and, and I mean, we, we, we just have a lot of, a lot of things like that. And, uh, you know, whether it's sports, you know, whether it's, uh, it's nature, uh, uh, programs, um, you know, whether it's, uh, it's, it's adult, uh, sports leagues. I mean, we have a way for you to find very positive, productive, you know, take real uh, advantage of that sunshine, healthy, healthy activities that that helps you to spend your free time in, uh, in very positive, productive ways. And well, uh, Bill, that's that's fantastic. And by the way, just so the, uh, the audience says, you know, before we were talking, I thought and I'm pretty familiar with Florida. I mean, I've probably worked in every county repeatedly. I always thought Clearwater and Clearwater Beach were two separate municipalities. And you told me, no, Clearwater Beach is an asset within the city of Clearwater. That's correct. So make sure we clarified that. Bill, thanks so much uh, for being on. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. I'll be be down at uh, Bonnet Creek. I don't know if you're going to be making it down there at the the conference. If you are, I hope to see you there. Well, thank you very much, Steve. All right. I appreciate it. Uh, Folks, this is Steve Van Cor. This is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. Thank you for being with us.